Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This Benny J. Mr. Bike bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinist and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J., take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, May 28th, 2020. Lord knows when you're listening to this because it's a podcast. Uh, the doctor gave a little tease as to who our guest is. The rest of the tease will come in through the chants of our in-studio audience. And listen to that in-studio audience. And the, it says his name at the beginning when you click on it to, to listen to it. I know that. But, you know, it's part of the introduction, all right? Don't get jaded on me, okay? Wait, listen to the audience, D. D, G, D, G, D, G, Mr. Bike, Mr. Bike. That's correct. The audience is going crazy. That's correct. Dave Gloatz is his name. Biking and following the city council is his game. Welcome back to the show, young man. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, you're a regular now, and uh, we've been promoting this segment for a while. Uh, Dave Gloatz takes the deep dive with the Chicago City Council, my beloved Chicago City Council. And uh, so, by the way, and also, uh, young Dave Gloatz has become a regular writer for the Chicago Reader. Uh, and he has a city council story in last week's reader. T uh, tell folks about it, Dave. That story was a follow-up to the one that I did a little while back that took a look at reactions to the mayor giving herself a bunch of emergency powers back in uh, March, I think it was, around the pandemic. And uh, after that article appeared in the reader, the mayor decided to try to codify, in fact, she successfully codified, her emergency powers uh, executive order, and uh, the follow-up article, which is called Alderman Power Through Lightfoot's Emergency Moves, which appears at chicagoreader.com, looked at aldermanic reactions to her trying to uh, get that passed through city council. And uh, the conclusion, we'll probably have a lot of fun talking about this later, uh, one of the conclusions is that if uh, you are the chair of a committee, there's a greater likelihood that you'll be waving the Mayor Lori Lightfoot flag. And if you're not a chair of a committee, there's a greater likelihood that you might be willing to speak out against the mayor's initiatives or vote against her programs. Would you say that was an accurate conclusion to make based on your reporting? Ben, I, I infer that you're talking about a quid pro quo. <laughs> Well, you know, this is one of my favorite themes before we take the deep dive. In the city of Chicago, now follow me, all you out-of-state and out-of-city listeners, we have a very peculiar setup in the city of Chicago. In the city of Chicago, we yes, we have two branches of government. Government, We have an executive, represented by the mayor, and we have a legislative, represented by the city council. But in the city of Chicago, they've decided to do away with the checks and the balances part of the, this equation, and instead, they allow the mayor to essentially name who the chairs of the various important council committees are. Why do we do that in the city of Chicago? This is my theory. I'm not saying that Dave Gloat subscribes to it. It's because people in the city of Chicago love strong mayors, unless it's Howard Washington. Then only half the people in the city like strong mayors. They love strong mayors that boss them around and tell them what to do, because that's how we are, act in the city of Chicago. Anyway, that's my theory, Dave. I will not put you on the spot by asking you your theory on that subject. Instead, I'll turn it over to you and lead us through the last city council meeting uh, some of what you consider the high points of the last city council meeting. Well, in connection with what you just said, another fun fact is that the mayor chairs the city council meetings and has for as long as I can remember. So that's, that's a sort of interesting uh, blend of executive and legislative 
part. Yes, that's oh. true. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. The mayor and and she wields that mighty gavel. Well, back in the day when the city council and in the virtual city council, does she have a gavel as well? I don't. Yes, she actually does have a gavel. But and what's even more fun is that she has this huge, and we know this because um, uh, photographers, or newspaper photographers, are allowed in her office when she's conducting the meetings via video conference. She has this ginormous video screen in front of her on which she can see all 50 of the aldermen uh, images mm-hmm. who are uh, on Zoom with her. So... Uh, it's even it's even even more awesome than the gavel, I think. Oh God! I tell yeah. you, folks, you can't uh, exaggerate this point too much. Chicagoans love a tough, bossy mayor. That's what they look for. It's like the they just love it, like they love it when the Chicago Bulls win the championship. All right, take us through some of the highlights of the last city council meeting. Always a favorite part of the Ben Jarofsky show. Well, that one was on May 20th, and it went on for about three hours. And I have some audio from that meeting, plus a little bit from another meeting that took place on May 18th, two days earlier, of the Committee on Finance. Now, Ben, I don't know if this was on purpose or it just so happened that the May 20th meeting was on the one-year anniversary of the inauguration of Mayor Lightfoot and of a handful of new aldermen. And I know you've had a couple of the uh, freshman aldermen on recently, haven't you? Yes. I uh, yeah. go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I have, I'm trying to think the last uh, rookie alderman I had on. I've had, well, I've had so many. Matt Martin's been on. Danny Lespato was on. Yeah, other Jeanette Taylor on recently, if I'm not mistaken. JT. That's uh, correct. A regular on this show. Yes, Jeanette Taylor, the pride and joy of the 20th Ward uh, in Woodlawn on the south side. Yes, she was the most recent one, but I think Daniel Espada was on right before her. Um, those, that's another rookie alderman. Uh, I think he's your alderman, isn't he? Or he's, no, he's next door to me. I'm actually in the, uh, the ward of the chair of the finance committee, Scott <laughs> Wagaspak. So oh, so the streets are uh, paved really well now? Uh, in the... <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Let's not, let's not get into that. All right, just re- really fast, got to say this. I did it. Uh, I did a whole column about this. I had a, this is one of my favorite topics, and Dave and I talked about this in the previous podcast we we had, where I was the, he was the host and I was the guest. Uh, there was a, I had a conversation with a constituent of Scotty Wagesback, thirty second ward alderman, who said even though uh, Scott was he appreciated Scott's independence in the face of Mayor Rahm, he realized he paid a price for it because because he was an independent alderman, the streets weren't paved. I go, what makes you say that? He goes, well, there's potholes. And I'm like, well, obviously, you've never been around the city of Chicago. There's nothing but potholes everywhere you go. It's not because your alderman is independent of Mayor Rahm. It's because Mayor Rahm's incapable of filling potholes. Anyway. Welcome to another episode of Mythbusters <laughs> here at the Ben Jarowski Show. No, Ben. Dennis, we're going to do, yeah. do tips first on this one. Uh, right. So, Ben, speaking of um, Scott Wagspeg, uh, the Finance Committee Chairman, uh, let's talk about the Finance Committee that uh, meeting that took place on May 18th. Okay. There's something that I thought was really interesting in this meeting. Um, the um, City Council, at the, two days later, approved tax increment financing for five Chicago parks mostly like field houses. I think there was one turf field, you know. But at the, this, this kind of came up at the Finance Committee meeting two days earlier where it was explained that the city is doing what's called an intergovernmental agreement between it and the park district. Now, well, first of all, why do we need an intergovernmental agreement? Well, this is a little bit of... Uh, uh, little arcane detail that the park district is a separate governmental entity. So if the city is going to use some of its own financing to pay for, say, field houses, it's actually transferring that money to a different governmental entity. Now, Ben, help me on the setup here. Why to you is it notable that the city is using tax increment financing to pay for parks? Wow. 
Uh, what a loaded question, man. That's called a softball <laughs> to me. Uh, I really want to limit it. Well, we're it. talking about parks, so softball. Uh, yes, it's uh, okay. Um, the tax, a TIF is essentially a surcharge that uh, is applied to your property taxes, uh, and it goes into a fund controlled by the mayor, and the mayor's, it, it's called a slush fund by me, uh, and anybody who takes the time to study it because the mayor is free to spend it pretty much any way he or she wants. Uh, so in this case, uh, the mayor is going to spend it uh, on uh, what, field houses, you say, for the parks? Well, yeah, the money, the, the, the way the TIF program literally works is that you, uh, you effectively have to pay more of ta- property taxes to the parks to compensate for the amount of property taxes that the parks are essentially allowing to be diverted into the mayor's slush fund. That boils it down. So when they, when the mayor, in this case, her benevolent, uh, in, in her benevolent uh, way, decides to give a little of that money back to the park district to build a field house, they have to have a, a governmental agreement in which they stipulate how much money uh, is going to come from the city for the parks, etc. So effectively, the this is what I used to love doing this back in the days of ROM, Daily. The, it's really the case with the schools because they give more than anybody else. The schools will ga- give the mayor a dollar worth of tip and uh, TIF property taxes, and the city will spend 50 cents uh, on building a school, at which point all the appointees that the mayor has running the school system, all the people that the mayor appointed to the school system, fall to their knees and say, thank you, Mr. Mayor, for giving back half the money we gave to you in the first place. Oh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. So it's it's very similar with the Park District, Dave, because they too are run by a mayoral appointees, even though they are, as you pointed out, a separate taxing body. So we go through this contrivance where you have lawyers from both sides, you know, negotiating a deal, <laughs> the terms of which the mayor has already told them. These are the deal. Got it, boss. We'll now work it out. So anyway. There's a detail there that you're talking about that there are property taxes being paid into a tax increment financing district. And people don't realize, people in that district don't realize that their money that they thought might have been being paid towards the park district was actually being diverted and going into a tax increment financing district. And that's, that's where the... 50 cents versus a dollar comes in. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, let's go, go Let's go to the to the hearing. And mm-hmm. let's, well, the first thing we're going to hear is going to hear uh, a guy from the planning department describe the very first of these park district projects, and let's listen to that. My name is Nelson Shong with the Parm Plan and Development. We're here to testify in the next four items, authorizing Parm Plan and Development enter into intergovernmental agreements with the park district for park improvements. The first one is the proposed ordinance authorizing the department planning to enter into intergovernmental agreement to provide $3 million from the Belmont Central TIF to the Chicago Park District for improvements to Blackhawk Park. The TIF funds will be used for fieldhouse renovations, which include roof and gutter replacement, masonry tuck pointing, window and door replacement, as well as ADA access improvements. The project is located in the 36th Ward, hence the support of Alderman Villegas. Notices were sent also to Alderman Raboyas, Cardona, and Sposado, who also share this TIF district. Alderman Villegas, would you like to comment on this? I think one of our colleagues made a comment regarding the process for TIF. And so moving forward, I would like to make sure that prior to these intergovernmental agreements being approved, that the aldermen that encompass a TIF are brought in. Now, what's interesting to me here is that although the guy from the planning department, you know, has said that aldermen who were involved, whose wards are intersecting these TIF districts, got let TIF districts got letters from the city. Alderman Gilbert Diegas of the 36th Ward hence urges that all aldermen who do have intersecting jurisdictions are, quote, brought in, unquote. And uh, I should also note that Diegas is Mayor Lankford's floor leader in the council and chair of the Economic Development Committee. So for some reason, uh, even though the city sent letters to all these aldermen, Diegas feels the need to say, uh, for somehow somehow these aldermen are not being brought in. And I thought, well, why? Why, why did he even say that? Well, a year ago, 
well, almost to the day of the city council meeting, uh, Mayor Lightfoot got the planning department and other departments to make this big change from things that required aldermanic notification, like you know perhaps an intergovernmental agreement for a fifth district, to just uh, notifying the aldermen. And what I think might be happening here is some aldermen might still be used to this kind of stuff not proceeding without their okay. But instead, they're getting like a memo or an email, and they get so many memos and emails, particularly from the Lightfoot administration, according to an alderman I spoke with, that they might not even notice that it came across their desk. And so and until it actually gets into a committee and, and, and they see, oh, there's $3 million coming from a local tip district going to a park, I didn't know about that. Care to comment, Ben? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. And um, there's a, it, a lot of this has to do with the utter ignorance uh, that the people of the city of Chicago have about how TIF works. And in defense of the people of the city of Chicago, here I am defending the people of the city of Chicago. Let's just note that. They're ignorant because their city has uh, put out so misinformation on this program that uh, people either believe the wrong thing or just throw up their hands and say, we don't uh, get it. So bottom line is this. First point. Uh all people in the city of Chicago contribute to that particular TIF that Gilbert Viegas was alluding to. I think you said Belmont Craig and TIF. I think that's what you said. Yeah, at the right. side. So there's a TIF district that services the Belmont Craig area in the northwest side of Chicago. But folks, every single person in the city of Chicago contributes to it, just like every single person in the city of Chicago contributes property taxes to the Lincoln Yards TIF. This notion that somehow or other, these are just little piggy banks that are the collection of money from the people who literally feed the piggy bank is such a distortion of how the program works. Uh, it, 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 it's the only reason they're so, it's one of the main reasons they're successful about it because people in the city of Chicago don't realize that every time you create a TIF district, you limit the taxing body's ability to collect property taxes from the property in that TIF district. And so as a result, they have to raise the rates citywide. I keep saying this over and over again. People look at me like I'm some demented drunk in a park. Oh, there he goes again. But it's a reality. So I don't know why Gilbert Viegas would have any more say than uh, Anthony Beal. I just first alderman I thought of, or, or your favorite alderman, Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, or Michelle Smith in the 43rd Ward. Everybody's contributing to it. So that right there and then, the notion that somehow or other, Gilbert Viegas would have more say than any other alderman contributes to the distorted view that people have of this program. And, and it's in one of the main reasons that, like, Brian Hopkins can get to what is it 1.3 billion dollars for his tiff project lincoln yards and gilbert viegas is satisfied with what was it three million dollars i forget million, yeah. yeah uh and so then there's the matter the secondary matter of the fact that the park itself is in gilbert viegas's ward so he's sort of like getting the money because the park's in his ward but the tiff district itself goes through three or four wards and that's because tiff districts don't correspond directly to any one ward particularly since a tiff district exists for 23 years ward boundaries change every 10 years through uh remapping so that's why you know it, it, you shouldn't even think of it as gilbert viegas's little piggy bank in the first place but when you when you realize that if you buy into the piggy bank uh, theory, it could be that a greater portion of this TIF district is in somebody else's ward. It just happens that this project is in Gilbert Viegas's ward. So, well, as I said earlier, there is a, uh, a certain amount of adjustment that is still going on among aldermen, I think, about what exactly can go on with and without their approval. And uh, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I think there is a, a uh, there's still a, a bunch of jockeying around for, you know, what 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 say an alderman says, what say do I have in this? And this, and I don't want to set off onto this uh, this tangent of aldermanic prerogative, but that's what it gets into. Yes. But shall we move on? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Well, there, uh, Dennis, we're going to do Tribune next. So at the um, May 20th City Council meeting, there was kind of a big deal approval that went on. The City Council approved a zoning change 
for a $700 million hotel and residential high-rise development next to Tribune Tower. And Ben, I'm sure you're aware, and many of your listeners are aware, that the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune newspaper, moved out of there a while back, and it's undergoing private development. And the controversy, one controversy that erupted at the council meeting is around minority contracting. So first of all, this is a completely privately funded development. There isn't any public subsidy. And when there is public subsidy, the city has rules that there must be a certain minimum level of minority businesses and women-owned businesses that are brought in. There are, there are actually statutory minimums. But because this is a private development, it doesn't trigger those contractor minimums. But uh, what we're going to hear in a minute is the alderman of the 42nd Ward, Brendan Riley, in, in whose ward this development resides, is very proud that even though these minimums for minority and women contractors are not required, the developer committed to them anyway. And his colleagues reacted to that. Let's listen. Okay. I would like to um, read the written commitment into the record now. Tribune Tower East, Chicago owner LLC, agree that with respect to the Tribune Tower project, it is their commitment to achieving the goal to utilize 26% of qualified and certified minority business enterprises and 6% of women-owned business enterprises on this project. Further, the applicant will not seek waivers from goals if there are qualified certified MBE contractors or qualified and certified WBE contractors. Chair recognizes Alderman Citro Lopez. My concern obviously is on the follow-up of many projects and how local hiring has historically and systematically excluded people of color. Our communities in the South and the West Side are starving, are suffering, and I do hope that this is not another pledge that is not followed, but a commitment to make sure our communities actually receive the jobs that we badly need during these times. The chair recognizes Alderman uh, Maldonado. I am equally concerned about the commitment of these developers that they say one thing and then once they implement and start working on those projects, they forget about the initial commitments that they made to us, people of color and of the city council. Contrary to what Alderman Riley expressed, um, I have not received any call. I have not had any conversation with any one of those developers as the chair of the Latino caucus. So if this is one example in the way that they are going to be communicating and executing their commitment to us, I already have my first red flag. The chair recognizes Alderman Lopez. I rise in support of this project. I do want to caution my colleagues who are standing up today worrying about communities that they did not bring up yesterday in zoning. If I remember correctly, I think I was the only one who brought up ensuring that all minority communities were allowed to participate. There's always been ample opportunity to speak up and ensure that our communities have a seat at the table. It's whether or not we decide to pull the chair out and join people that is usually the problem. I believe that not only this project, but as we did the project earlier today for Emmett, and as we continue to do projects where the city is putting money forward, the same conversation we're having today about a 100% privately funded venture should be applied to the conversations that we have on ventures where we are putting taxpayer dollars forward, ensuring that those are also incorporating residents from every community. We didn't have that discussion earlier today. We had zero discussion on that matter when it came to the $24 million bond issue for affordable housing a few hours ago. But now we're going to have a multi-level conversation about a $700 million, 100% privately funded venture in the city. At best, that's hypocritical. At worst, that is a complete missed opportunity by everyone who's worrying about communities that need resources, jobs, and contracts. There are a couple of things to tease out of this. One is that something that's sort of a loophole that in terms of minority contracting, even if the developer uses contractors that the city has certified as owned by minorities or with or women, there's really no guarantee that they're going to hire from the neighborhoods that are disadvantaged, you know, where, where the minorities or the women need jobs. I mean, they could hire those contractors could be hiring from anywhere. 
then another wrinkle is that in this particular development, in this Tribune Tower development, although the developer committed to, um, as Alderman Riley says, these certain percentages of minority and women enterprises, there really is no penalty if they don't do it, mm-hmm. if they don't comply. It's not as if the council is going to rescind the zoning that they passed or you know pull the building permits. So that's those are sorts of things that Alderman Byron Tichel-Lopez of the 25th Ward and Alderman Maldonado of the 26th Ward were skeptical about. We heard Alderman Maldonado say that you know there's a red flag for him because he hasn't, he hasn't even heard from these people and he's the chair mm-hmm. of the Latino caucus. And then lastly, uh, Alderman Lo- Lopez pointed out that um, on this development, he was listening to his fellow aldermen complaining about hiring from disadvantaged communities. But just before this particular measure, there was an approval of a city-backed affordable housing development called Emmett Street, which is in Logan Square, which they approved, which does have uh, city-backed funding. And Lopez says, well, you didn't raise a fuss about you know the minorities there. So it's... Uh, those are some of the items. Ben, you, you want to? I've got a little more to say about this, but you want to jump in? Well, let me jump into the first part uh, before I get to Raylo. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, more pure than the other aldermen, which is uh, always funny to hear the aldermen. Anybody at the city council saying, "I'm more pure than you," "I'm less of a hypocrite than you are," I always enjoy that part. Um, this, this listening to this debate and then listening to your uh, analysis, Dave, really points out. How divorced a huge development like this is from the rest of Chicago. So here we are in the, in the middle of a pandemic. Unemployment is uh, rising. There's, it's desperate times for a lot of people. A lot of businesses that are closed. A lot of people laid off. No, There's still uncertainty. So much uncertainty as to when people will get their old jobs back, if they get their old jobs back at all. Uh, and the poorer you are, the more exposed you are to the realities of how serious this crisis is. And then we go to Tribune Tower Project, which is just rolling along merrily, apparently. Utterly, what, unrelated, unaffected by this huge pandemic that has thrown so much of the city into a crisis mode. That is threatening construction so much. Is, construction is an essential business. I'm not saying it shouldn't be built. That's not my point. My point is, is that whatever money is backing this is not in any way worried of the impact of the pandemic or else they'd pull their money. They keep Everybody keeps saying it's privately funded. That means people have kicked in money. They say you invest money into this project because you think you're going to make money from this project. So it's in the up end. It's in the high end scale. Neighborhood in Chicago, a high rent area on Michigan Avenue. On Michigan Avenue, it's like the pandemic doesn't exist on Michigan Avenue, and so I'm I'm not saying don't build it. I'm not saying that at all. I believe I'm happy that some people are going to get jobs, and uh, that I presume they're going to be good union jobs, etc. and so forth. That's not my point. My point is is that that corner of Chicago bears almost no relationship to the neighborhoods that Maldonado and Lopez and uh, 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 Sixer Lopez and Ray Lopez are talking about. And it's, Which is exactly, what, I think, what they were talking were yes. saying. That it, I think Alderman Sixer Lopez said that you know, people are suffering, and the fact that um, we, have, we have commitments from these uh, and this developer doesn't necessarily translate into it actually happening. It, it, and there's another thing that I, I rarely hear talked about is, you know, we saw this with uh, last year with the um, uh, Lincoln Yards development uh, along the north side and the north branch of the Chicago River and with the 78 along with the south, uh, the south branch of the Chicago River where those developers also made huge commitments to um, minority and women-owned businesses. In fact, it was, a little, as you recall, been a little bit of a controversy because it was all the approval of the city council was going down while Mayor Lightfoot was about to come into office. And she 
rather notably got the, uh, the uh, instead of calling a halt to the approval, she uh, extracted an agreement to up the percentages of minority and women-owned businesses that these contractors would use. But the thing I don't, I don't hear about is, are there actually even enough black, brown, and women Chicago tradespeople in the city to fill all these trade jobs? And, and if so, where are they now? I mean, where are they working now? They're, they're not just going to suddenly materialize. And it, it reminds me of a, um, uh, a woman that I know who is a trade carpenter. And she told me that she actually had to stop doing projects like this because what she would do is she's, you know, she's a skilled carpenter. She's a union carpenter. She would go to jobs and all these men, usually mostly white men, uh, would relegate her to like cleaning up after, you know, after stuff is being done. They actually wouldn't let her do carpentry. And she said this happened repeatedly. So she finally just had to like stop taking those jobs and like start doing homeowner jobs, you know, which are, you know, far less, um, as far as, you know, far more challenging, you got to, you know, be your own boss and stuff like that. So that really, to me, it, 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 those are quite, these are questions that uh, come to my mind. And obviously they, they come to the question, they come to the minds of these other aldermen. Well, I'll, it, I'll, I'll yeah. give you the last word on this. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's obviously in the city's best interest uh, to improve its training program and then to pr- improve its outreach program. So uh, you, you train people. Uh, in poor neighborhoods, Ray Lopez's ward, uh, to be uh, uh, skilled carpenters, let's say, and then you hook them up for, with these jobs. And and there is some leverage. That the, I mean, the fact, just think about this, the fact that the, the city council has to approve the zoning for this building shows there's leverage. So the notion that it's because it's not subsidized directly with property tax dollars like Lincoln Yards is being underwritten by our property tax dollars through the TIF program, there still is leverage that the city has. And I know they were, I remember reading the paper, they're bragging about how much money they're going to contribute to the neighborhood fund, uh, which will still just be uh, a thimbleful compared to the amount of money that'll go to Lincoln Yards, public money. But there is leverage. So to pretend that there's no leverage um, is to sort of act as though the city has less power than it does. But there's the reality, Dave, is like a huge project like this is supported by so many people uh, in the city of Chicago that they're not going to stop it or delay it to take care of somebody in Ray Lopez's ward or Byron Sixto Lopez's ward or any or Anthony Beale's ward or David Moore's ward or any poor ward where there's a lot of unemployment. It's just reality. That's just the way it is in the city of Chicago. And that's why I'm saying development under Daly, development under Rahm, it was isolated from the areas where development was needed the most. And I don't believe there's a planning person in the city of Chicago who ever figured out a way to make it less isolated. I don't think there was a will to do that. And I don't think there was a creativity to do that. And when I hear this debate, it just is an echo of everything I've been hearing since the 90s. You know, people have been well, talking. Yeah, there, no, under the Lightfoot administration, there is an effort, and we're not going to, I don't think, talk about this now, but I should mention that there is an effort to move development, and it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, high-profile effort, at least it was before the pandemic hit, to focus development in the disadvantaged neighborhoods on the south and west sides. But let's leave that conversation for another day and Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing that I thought was of interest at the city council meeting. But Dennis, we're going to do questions next. At this uh, May 20th city council meeting, Ben, there were a series of moments that showed, at least to me, how video conferencing has changed the sort of routine of the city council. And this particular episode was interesting to me because it exposes a way that the council has worked in the past that I think is somewhat <laughs> dysfunctional, but not a lot of people know about. And this particular episode starts right after Alderman Riley gave his initial pitch for this Tribune Tower development we've been talking about. And the first person to ask a question about it was Alderman Daniel Espada of the First Ward. 
and he asked about uh, affordable housing, which set up a uh, sort of procedural exchange. Let's listen. The chair recognizes uh, Alderman Lespada. Thank you, Chair. Alderman Riley, definitely a beautiful building. I think it's an admirable addition to our skyline. You were talking about the contribution that they made to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. And while we know we need to keep the trust fund moving forward, do you have a sense of why they chose not to do units on site? Um, If I may, Alderman, when you have questions of this sort, you should be asking them through the chair. So Alderman Tunney, I believe that Alderman Laspata intended to ask a question of you. Madam President, point of order. Who's speaking, please? Alderman Hopkins on a point of order. Yes, uh, Alderman. I didn't want to interrupt the uh, proceedings or the debate, but I do just want to state as a, uh, a matter of record that we do have a council protocol which prohibits the city council from turning into a question and answer session as a committee hearing would. And uh, we uh, seem to push that just a little bit during the previous debate. Uh, I just want to point out that uh, that is a slippery slope. And I would hope we would all be cognizant of that going forward, that the uh, time for question and answers uh, is the zoning committee in this case. Uh, and that would we would all be cognizant that council is uh, reserved for statements and roll call votes. Before we adjourn, I do want to note one thing. As you know, in the virtual environment in which we are operating, we are endeavoring not to have committee meetings overlapping. So if there are matters of interest, the agendas for the committees posted well in advance, even if you're not on the committee, please avail yourself of the opportunity to participate, at least by Zoom, so that when it comes time to vote on a matter that you are not a part of a committee on, You'll be fully advised in the particulars to allow you to vote one way or the other. <laughs> and you might say, shut up and vote, right? Yeah, but what a city. <laughs> I, love my, I love my city, man. I could have lived anywhere, Dave. 19, I could have lived anywhere. I chose to come here. Shut up. Too much democracy. Time. This is not the time to ask questions. Oh, okay. Uh, just a little bit of background that, you know, Alderman Laspada, as we mentioned, I think, earlier, is uh, this is his first term. He's a so-called freshman alderman. He's never held public office. His uh, sort of chastiser, Alderman Brian Hopkins of the second ward, is in his second term. But he is a longtime government employee. He was a, before he was an alderman, he was the chief of staff for Cook County Commissioner, Cook County Board Commissioner John Daly, the brother of the longtime mayor, and the son of the longtime mayor as well. And it's interesting to listen to uh, Mayor Lightfoot tacitly agree with Hopkins' premise which is that, you know, this is not, the, the council meeting is not the time for questions and answers. It's a uh, slippery slope if we go there. Yeah, I know. We might get more answers. What a slippery <laughs> slope. <laughs> well, we might have an enlightened citizenry. Don't want that. Just shut up and vote. All right, Laspana? Good God. <laughs> Did Raylo just, I, come on, please tell me Raylo got up, Raymond Lopez. He's like the new voice of reason in the Chicago. Did he get up and say anything at this point? Uh, no. He, oh. he, there were a number of aldermen who asked questions once the Laspada uh, opened the floodgates. Oh, my but, God. You know, Lightfoot's uh, remark was there at the end. She I made the, the remark at the end of the city council meeting saying, uh, listen, y'all, if you want to, you can go to the committee meetings, which are the forums yeah. for questions, which leads into an interesting um, the detail that those of us who have covered city council at all mm-hmm. know that pre-pandemic, the committee meetings like finance or housing or budget or um, economic development, they are scheduled you know, in between, uh, in the weeks in between city council meetings, which have generally been monthly. Mm-hmm. And quite often in the past, the committees schedule their meetings, their hearings simultaneously. So say from, uh, there'll be a 10 o'clock meeting of the budget committee on a Thursday, and then at 11, there'll be an economic development or a public safety meeting. So if aldermen actually sits on both of those committees, they've got to decide which one of these am I going to go to? Same thing with reporters. You know, it's like, 
where am I going to go to? So one of the things that Lightfoot said, she said, we are now making effort. We, even though she's not part of the legislature, said we are now making an effort not to have simultaneous city council meetings. So presumably in the past, the chairs decided, you know, when to have the meetings at their own convenience. And it could be argued that that doesn't serve the public interest because not only can't aldermen go to meetings happening at the same time, but neither could the public. But now someone has decided that they shouldn't do it. And it really invites the question, how did that, you know, how and why did that come about? Well, let me just say this. Um, I, I would say, as, as a general statement, that more... Well, how do I want to put this? Oh, transparent. Isn't that the word they use? Isn't that their favorite word? We're going to be more transparent. More transparency is always encouraged. And so the notion that somehow or other, the rookie alderman from the first ward, La Spada, violated some sacred city council rule, regulation, or protocol that had the veteran, Brian Hopkins, just move to the point where he had to say point of order. You know, and then also a rookie, by the way, the rookie mayor, Lori Lightfoot, a suddenly a student of Robert Rules of Order, uh, pointing out, yeah, you're right, you know, that this is not the place where you get to ask your questions. What if the public missed the committee hearing? Now, I, I realize that the number of people who actually pay attention to what the Chicago City Council does is very low. Okay, so watching these virtual meetings, it's probably Dave Glowatz, Ken Davis, and uh, <laughs> Mick Dumkey. Those even Mick, I don't think watches them anymore. So it's D- Dave Glowatz and Ken Davis are the only two people in the city of Chicago still watching this. Uh, nonetheless, and Fran Spielman and John Byrne. Okay, ex- excuse me. Let me. Uh, uh, the obvious the people p- paid literally uh, to watch them at that moment. But so let me just say this. At least we have to pretend as though the public is watching. You know what I mean? You, let's just pretend, Brian Hopkins. Can you just play along with this a little bit? P- pretend the public's watching, and so that maybe the public missed. The budget hearing. So they didn't hear the question, a very good, legitimate question asked. They didn't hear the response. You know, so maybe out there in the world, there's a constituent in the second ward who wants to know if this is a worthwhile endeavor and wants to know the answer to Laspada's question. Just play along with us. But that this is so classic Chicago alderman. They do this all the time. And Hopkins is only in his second term. But, yeah, you're right. He learned from Daly. He, he served under one of the baby Dailies. Uh, he's been around the block. He's been around the block. And this is what they always do. Uh, the master of this was Patrick O'Connor. So you'd have some citizen come in and complain about, I don't know, the TIF program. And O'Connor would be like, take his glasses off. <laughs> oh, my God. Your ignorance about this program is so astounding. What you don't know is that the law, section 452 or the municipal code, blah, 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 blah. And the poor citizen would be so confused. And five minutes later, they would call me. You know, Ben, uh, O'Connor told me X, Y, Z. I remember when the Chicago City, when the Chicago Teachers Union when they, when Karen Lewis's group took over, they had their first TIF meetings, and and the, the alderman basically said, "You can't believe anything that guy tells you." Why, you, you know what I mean? So it's so easy for an alderman to bamboozle the public because it's so easy for the aldermen themselves to be bamboozled, and they've just fed each other these misconceptions, distortions, and lies for so long. They just want the rest of us to fall in line. Well, you know, Ben, the pandemic is changing everything. This has become a rather cliche perspective now, but it's true. And I'll be interested to see now that the city council is evidently no longer scheduling committee meetings to occur simultaneously, whether once they start meeting in person, that practice will continue. And I think if it if it doesn't, if they continue to schedule them so they don't overlap, that'll be a positive development yeah. that comes out of this troubling time. Well, let's move on. Wait, wait, we? I, have, I have one last question. Okay. I, we talked so much about this, but I forgot. What was the question that Laspada asked? I forgot what his question was. I just got so enra- was, wrapped up in the, the point of order, 
point of order. What was his question again? He was asking about affordable housing in this development. And there, uh, we didn't get to hear Riley's answer, but Riley's answer was that, well, because there is no city subsidy here, it doesn't trigger the requirements for affordable, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm incorrect. Because there is a zoning change, there are requirements for affordable housing. But as you alluded to a little while ago, Ben, the developer has the option of instead of putting affordable housing on site, that they pay into an affordable housing fund, they actually get, essentially get to pay not to be able to, not to have mm-hmm. put and, and, units and, on site. And, and I would say that's a teachable moment for the citizens of the city of Chicago. And I would say that Brian Hopkins and Lori Lightfoot were joining together to prevent the people of the city of Chicago to having a little better understanding of how their government works. And to say that, oh, well, that the only place to ask that question is in a, a zoning committee meeting that probably no one will watch because they think most of the action will be at the city council meeting is to really miss an opportunity to understand that perhaps one of the reasons we have a shortage of affordable housing in the city of Chicago is, as I said before, there is no direct connection between development in booming areas, gentrifying areas, and the lack of development throughout the rest of the city. I think you make a really important point here, Ben, is that given that there are so many people perhaps now that are watching city council meetings than ever before, because you know, they're, they're being live streamed and, they're, uh, and, and people are at home, that this is actually a very good time, uh, quite an opportune time for the city council to encourage this kind of questioning rather than to try to shut it down. To discourage it. By the way, I think what we should do, I don't know if you ever saw the, let's take a moment, Fred Willard, the great Phil, Fred Willard, one of the great uh, comic actors of the last... 30 years in a movie called Best in Show. You ever seen Best in Show? I'm afraid not. Oh my God, great great movie. But in Best in Show, it's all about uh, dog lovers and they have this dog show and Fred Willard plays a TV commentator who's doing commentary as the dog show is going along. So you and I should do literal commentary on this stuff as it's happening. (laughs) Well, Ben, what's going on? (laughs) That would be unbelievable. I love that. What a great idea. Oh and that's when they <laughs> the stop play the play by play. The play by play. Uh-uh. <laughs> Too much knowledge is a dangerous thing, okay? Chicagoans well, just continue to well, be ignorant. Man. It's worked so well for you as a tax-paying population. Oh, Ben, we got to do this. We got to try it at least one time. That's, that's going to be so uh, much fun. Yes. All right, All right well, Ben, uh, let's move on, shall we? Okay. Uh, De- Dennis, we're going to do greatest hits next. So what we're going to talk about next is something that happened about three quarters of the way through the city council meeting. And this is when Mayor Lightfoot used the occasion of the one-year anniversary of her inauguration that we talked about earlier to give about a nine-minute speech that she had clearly prepared in advance. But it took me by surprise because, well, first of all, it wasn't on the agenda. And secondly, it addressed the mayor's relationship with city council members. And, and Ben, I'm going to ask you to help me set this up. How would you characterize, here's another softball, how would you characterize the mayor's relationship with city council it's members? It's tenuous. Uh, and uh, it's it's different He's than... holding back, folks. Yeah, it's, it's different than um, previous uh, mayors. Uh, well, the, the most in, the obvious contract, uh, contrast, Rahm Emanuel when he took over as mayor of the city of Chicago, went to the leaders of the city council, Ed Burke and Patrick O'Connor, and said, I am not in any way going to challenge your leadership in this body. You're going to continue to do whatever you do. I'm going to look the other way. In the case of Ed Burke, had a flourishing property tax business uh, where he was essentially uh, putting the squeeze on people who were also coming to the city looking for uh, TIF handouts, et cetera. And so Rahm looked the other way. And as a result, the city council operated the way it had been operating for years. Throughout the day, Daly did the same thing. He looked the other way. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot, she ran as a quote-unquote reformer. 
And as such, she was the beneficiary of the Ed Burke scandal, the Ed Burke indictment, the feds going after Ed Burke. So she ran against Ed Burke. The popu- the, the citizenry of Chicago woke up long enough to s- decide that Ed Burke was a bad guy and uh, they didn't want anything else to do with him. And so she's exceedingly popular. There was a little matter of an indictment, too. That yeah, helped. that helped. Yes. Okay. But I'm giving Lori Lightfoot credit here. All right. She had enough sense to run against Ed Burke. Uh, And so as a result, she has effectively put Ed Burke's head on the neck of every alderman in the Chicago City Council. And <laughs> what an image. I know. And so it's an easy thing to do because most people in the city don't really pay attention. And they like they just have this general notion that aldermen are no good. You know, they may love their particular alderman, but in general, they're no good. So they like nod along. Oh, Lori, you're right. Oh, uh, get rid of alderman and prerogative. They don't even know what it is. Sure, I'll get rid of it. You know? So you're saying that Lightfoot feeds that fire. Yes, she does. Very successfully, very uh, brilliantly. She has a great public relations operation. They've done a great job. I have to give them credit. I disagree with the notion that alderman and prerogative uh, is a problem in the city of Chicago. I think it's, as you know, my position on this. But I have to tip my hat to Lori Lightfoot uh, and her advisors because the public is with them on this one. They're not with me on this one. And that's for all she has to do is say all the men are prerogative and half of Chicago just dutifully nods its head. Ugh, she's so that's why this, what we're about to listen to is so interesting in terms of public relations. It's not what I would have expected from her. And it's a, like I said, it was a somewhat lengthy uh, speech and I've edited it way down, but it did take a few minutes, but let's listen to it. Before we move on to further business, I want to take a moment May 20th will always have particular significance for many of us. For some, myself included, we swore an oath for the first time that bestowed upon us both a great honor and important obligations. So whether veteran or new to elected office, we've been on a journey together that began one year ago today and now one year later finds us in the middle of a challenge of a lifetime. All of us were brought together by our city's voters. That mandate was and is our mission representing a new day for our city, one which saw us taking a new direction towards a horizon as more transparent, inclusive, fair, and prosperous for all communities, not just for the fortunate few. And with due respect to the point of order, this is exactly the kind of debate and discussion that is important for us to have. I very much appreciate all of your hard work, your wise counsel, even when we disagree and your daily commitment to meeting the needs of your residents and your service to this city that we all love. And I ask our new aldermen to share some of their personal highlights and what they said was as varied and diverse as they all are. For Alderman Rodriguez, his highlight was helping craft and support the Fair Work Week and strengthening the Welcome City Ordinance. Alderman Haddon cited our work in securing and stabilizing our eroding lakefront and increasing support to keep our shoreline protected. Alderman Sucho Lopez looked to our efforts to stop predatory practices against homeowners, as well as creating a community advisory council to ensure input from ordinary residents on the 78 development. Alderman Gardner spoke about the compromise struck with developers at a senior living facility to bring more, specifically 11 affordable housing units to a site which previously had none For Alderman Taylor, it was expanding transparency in her ward. Alderman Cardona, a very hardworking man, cited his work in supporting the residents of the Cicero and George apartments. And for Alderman Coleman, it was completing tens of thousands of service requests, supporting local businesses and organizing, ready for it, the first ever Inglewood Town Hall with all five aldermen representing the community participating at once. Well done. The story of our year together has been one story of our shared singular mission to create a city where everyone has a place and no one feels alone or left behind. And in this time, it is incumbent upon us to find common ground for the good of us all. Thank you and God bless you. Ben, you talked about the public relations operation. I wonder what PR person came up with that idea, like Joanna Klonsky. (laughs) Joe, I'm a good friend, Joanna Klonsky. Yeah. Let's give her the credit because that's all, that was uh, Lori Lightfoot at her best right there. 
Artemis Lane. You, uh-huh. could, you, you could say, oh, well, what about this? What about that? You know what? That was her at her best. Uh, she was extending an olive branch, and when she extended the olive branch, she didn't use it to hit him over the head with it. She extended the olive branch. She found something nice. She and the funny part, she got to Jeanette Taylor. Jeanette Taylor is not unafraid to be critical of the administration and some of its policies, and I love her dearly for that. Everybody knows I love Jeanette Taylor, but she found a way to say something nice about Jeanette Taylor. So, you know, that was Lori Lightfoot. Well, well, I'm imagining of- Lightfoot's staff contacting each of the freshman aldermen and been. What, what the mayor was reciting was what just the just what the alderman gave them, and so I'm tempted to read into the very short piece that alderman alderwoman Taylor presented. I mean, it was it was all of seven words, I think. You know, the increase of transparency in her ward, and I'm like I say, I'm tempted to read into uh, into into the, the brevity and uh, the subject matter. I don't know. Do you have any any opinion? Uh, maybe. Uh, well, that would be part of the commentary. Uh, and <laughs> exactly. You would lean over to me. Go well, button. Ben. Really, if you notice, it's only seven words. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was um, Lori Lightfoot translating what uh, she, uh, Laura, uh, Jeanette Taylor gave her. Um, well, we don't know. We don't know. But you know what? But, it was but, a nice gesture. Uh, she spoke well. And uh, so I think that was Lori Lightfoot at her, her finest. And, you know, was, I guess it was her way of saying we may fight over this, that, the other thing. But basically, uh, we all have the same objective to make the city better. But I would I guess that would summarize uh, that statement. And then as soon as it's done, let's go back to fighting. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to uh, listen to this last piece that perhaps goes in that direction. Dennis, we're going to do rules next so this is an example, I think, of a seemingly innocuous procedural move in the council meeting. And to hear it, you wouldn't maybe think much of it because it was really, it's really kind of minor uh, just on the surface. But what's interesting to me is that what happened behind the scenes that led up to it. So what we're going to listen to is a certain part of each city council meeting uh, is a, is a time where the clerk, the city clerk, reads the list of the ordinances ordinances proposed by the administration, essentially what the mayor wants to introduce for future consideration. And after each one, the clerk reads each one, the clerk identifies which city council committee the clerk's office has determined has jurisdiction. So this starts sort of the, the um, path of the legislation which is generally a two-step process after it's in, or a three-step process. It's introduced, like we're going to hear, at a council meeting. Then it is taken up by the committee that has jurisdiction in a hearing. And then if it's approved, it goes to the city council, full city council, for approval. And we're going to listen to uh, the clerk reading a couple of those, and let's listen. Let's move to uh, communications. Mr. Clark? A series of communications from our honor the mayor to the honorable the city council of the city of Chicago. At the request of the commissioner of planning and development, I transmitted with an ordinance authorizing an allocation of NOF funds to the inner city Muslim action network. Your favorable consideration of this ordinance will be appreciated. Very truly yours, Lori E. Lightfoot, mayor. Refer to the committee on the budget and government operations. At the request of the commissioner of housing, I transmitted with an ordinance authorizing with Alderman Burnett, Hairston and Sawyer an ordinance regarding notice of intent to terminate tenancies and associated relocation assistance. Your favorable consideration of this ordinance will be appreciated. Lori E. Lightfoot, Mayor, referred to the Committee on Housing and Real Estate. Rules. Two committees called. The matter is referred to the Committee on Committees and Rules. Here's what happened. Uh, The clerk read that first ordinance, announced what committee you would consider at its upcoming meeting. Then he moved on to the next ordinance. And normally it would go down the same way. And but aldermen are listening carefully to what's in the ordinance. Yeah. Because if they want to slow something down, mm-hmm. here's where they can do it. So on this one, there was an ordinance that was proposed by the mayor's administration that increases protections for tenants whose leases aren't being renewed. And the clerk announced that this one is going to the housing committee. And then you heard a couple of aldermen shouting rules meaning that they didn't agree that it should go to the housing committee, it should go to the rules committee. And they could have said, they could have said any committee, they could have shouted finance or, uh, you know, public safety. 
because whenever that happens, the city's the city council's regulations are such that it automatically goes to the rules committee, which means that now it's got to go through an additional step. The rules committee then would have to vote to let it go out of its committee and then go to the appropriate committee, in this case, housing. So what happened is, uh, in this case, and we know this because it was reported by a couple of media outlets, that there was a bunch of negotiation going on between the administration and some progressive aldermen to create an ordinance to give tenants who are being kicked out of their leases or leases are not being renewed some more leverage. In other words, increase a 30-day notification by the landlords to 90 days to give them some monetary um, some compensation for not being able to stay in their apartments. And apparently these negotiations have been going on between these aldermen and, and the administration for some time. But the administration decided, you know what, we're kind of done with these negotiations now. I'm going to, I, the mayor, I'm going to introduce this ordinance because it's where I wanted to. And these progressive aldermen were not shy about talking to reporters about, whoa, she surprised us. She pulled this ordinance out after we weren't done negotiating. So when they learned that it was being introduced, they like decided to see if they can just you know put a speed bump in there with the rules committee. So who were these? Those two aldermen that yelled out rules? Do you know? We don't know. Okay, we don't know. Set yeah. it to rules, but uh, we could we we could do an analysis of the voices and figure <laughs> out. There was I think there was one female and one male, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so are they, is it, it's uh, these ordinances are still in rules. Have they been moved from rules yet, or they're still in rules? No, this uh, this one this particular incident happened on May twentieth, so May, the rules committee has not gotten that. Bad. Well, they could convene if they wanted to the next day. Uh, but what, or, 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 <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. You really wanted to play the game hard. You, know? uh, you could just immediately. Well, so, you know, the administration might do that. I mean, it, I'll point out again: the chair of all these committees have that position by virtue of their alliance with the mayor. Uh, bizarre little situation we have in Chicago. So uh, if the mayor wanted to, she could call up the chair of the rules. I do not happen at the moment to know who that chair is. And Michelle say, Harris. Michelle Harris. That, Michelle Harris, 8th Ward. Boom. Uh, Alderwoman Harris, could you please have a committee? And then two days later, I forget how much public notice you need. What is it, 48 hours? You have the meeting. Yeah, 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. bada boom, bada bing. It's out of the committee. So um, listen, the, I give the – whoever yelled out rules – it's the. I remember when I read this in the paper, I had a smile. I think this is the first time that the independents have kicked uh, a, a mayoral idea to rules. Usually, it's the mayor kicking an independent idea to rules. I, that's the burying ground, burial ground for like, these kids are learning the ropes. They're know? learning the ropes. Uh, but again, Mayor Lori Lightfoot controls the committee structure, so they want to get it out of rules. It's not that much of a problem. In the old days, when they wanted to, let's say, bury an elected school board matter that some uh, independent had proposed, Mayor Rahm kicks it to rules committee. There's not going to be a committee hearing f- to get it unkicked out, if you get what I'm saying. And remember, Richard Mel was the chair of the rules committee, and that was he would laugh. It was the burial ground. Uh, so I guess the independents uh, have learned a lesson or two uh, from the bosses. And I'll just say this. We'll close with this. We had uh, earlier on the show uh, uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez, who uh, was talking about her efforts in Springfield to get the General Assembly to pass some uh, protection, progressive-oriented protection for renters. And uh, ultimately, they couldn't even get a vote on it. Uh, the, the, they didn't have enough votes. And so it didn't come before the full house. And what progressives are learning, and this is an age-old lesson, is that there are always going to be major stumbling blocks anytime you push hard for the rights of the people who have the least amount of power. And so when you're looking out to like protect renters, low-income renters in the city of Chicago, that puts a big premium on development and gentrification, Dave, you're not going to find a lot of allies. It's just a reality. So I think that that matter will eventually uh, come out of rules, 
I'm not quite certain that the lefties in the city council will be happy with what gets passed. That's my prediction. What's your prediction? Well, I don't. I can't predict either. Well, well I say I can't predict, but um, I, they, we do know that they did the best that they could, right? The, with the the tools that are given to them, they they, they at least learn to pick up the tool and use it. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, I've got this hammer here. I might as well pound on something. Yeah. In the meantime, there's still a crisis for renters in the city of Chicago. I said yeah. that's it for uh, today's segment of the city council. Uh, Dave Goads, thank you so much for doing such a great job sitting through those meetings dutifully, collecting those recordings, setting this whole thing up. As I said, this is a very popular feature in our show. Uh, and then you turn around and uh, drop it on your uh, website as well. Is that correct, Senator? That's right. Uh, people can hear uh, another version of this uh, interview at Inside Chicago Government. That's shygov.com, C-H-I. GOV.com, where you'll find uh, much more of my reporting. Very good. That's Dave Glowatz. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Good job, Dave. Oh, well, good job anyway. <laughs>